And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Mythbits. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 51 of The World of Mythbits. I am your host, Stephanie Barty. And how was your week? Mine was busy. I worked at my contract job. I now work from home. Yay! I'm so excited about that. I can work in my pajamas if I want to. I don't. I get up, I get dressed, I put on my work attire and, you know, get into the work frame of mind. But, you know, I can go and raid my refrigerator while I'm working. It's great. (laughs) So, yes, I am a freelance contractor. So, yay me! Um, hit my word goal for this week for my ghostwriting job, so I was excited about that. Um, let's see, what else happened this week? Uh, my grandson turned two on Sunday. He turned two. Now, I, I misposted on Facebook and, and said that he turned two on Saturday, and for some reason I had that date in my phone but that was the date that my daughter-in-law was induced. That was the date he got his eviction notice. But he didn't actually show up until the 20th. So um, he turned two. And Saturday we went out to my brother and sister-in-law's. And my sister and my brother-in-law were there. And my nephews, my brother's kids and my sister's kids. So all three of my nephews were there. My brother has two boys and my sister has one. And my niece, my new baby niece, she's there. Well, she's not so new anymore. She's, uh, well, she's still newish. <laughs> she's um, almost two months old. So, um, got to hang out with them and uh, eat a whole bunch of really good food and... Um, see some funny videos um, of my brother <laughs> and had a really, really good time. It was really relaxing. Got to hang out with family and uh, that's always fun um, Got to hang out with my grandson because my son and my daughter-in-law were there and my grandson was there and um, lots and lots and lots. My family, I tell you, my family can do a dinner right we have big family meals. I mean, in my immediate family, there's me, my husband, my daughter, my son, my daughter-in-law, my grandson. Um, and then my other daughter-in-law comes up. There's three granddaughters there. But, I mean, just like in my siblings, there's with there's my, my sister and her husband and their two kids. And then my brother and his wife and their two kids. And then my mom and me and my husband and Katie. So we had a house full. But when we get together to do family meals, there's a lot of us. And it's just my siblings and our offspring, <laughs> basically. And we always, we've, 
never done a meal that, as far back as I can remember. I mean, when I was a kid, yeah, like you'd come to our house for Thanksgiving and my mom would do the, the turkey and the potato and all the trimmings and everything. But everybody brought something. Like my aunt and uncle would bring desserts and my grandparents would bring um, like the squash and the, the buns and, and stuff like that. So we've kind of elaborated on that tradition in our family where um, like my sister brought a ravioli. Oh, CJ's saying hello, everybody. You, you know, he knows it's it's podcast time, so he has to say his hello. Hello. No, he's just going to look at me now. Anyway, uh, my sister did like a ravioli pasta dish and my sister-in-law did um, a ranch noodle cheese dish. And my brother and my brother-in-law smoked ribs and we brought homemade green bean casserole and a cheesecake cake. Um, and my mom brought a cake and my, my daughter-in-law brought fudge and cupcakes and like, we, we do like the entire meal. We do the meal up, right? <laughs> there's always a ton of food, which means there's always a ton of leftovers. Um, but that's okay. Nobody goes hungry. When we do a family dinner, nobody goes hungry. If you go hungry, it's because you didn't eat anything. So, oh, and we had salads, and so it was really good. Um, and then today, we had my grandson's, see, I'm podcasting on Sunday, so that you guys can all listen to it on Monday. We had my grandson's birthday party, and we did it over at the YMCA, which is like a, I don't know if you, if, if you have YMCAs in the States, here in Canada, it's like there's a swimming pool and the gym and workout equipment and all of that stuff. And they got to play in the gym for an hour, um, running around, playing basketball, all that good stuff. And then we were in the party room for an hour and a half and there's pizza and, and pop and chips and, you know, typical party food stuff. Um, and then he opened up all his gifts. He had his cake and opened up all his gifts and they saved the best gift for last. His other grandparents, um, they're well, more well off than we are, but we don't compete in what we give them. We give them totally different things than what they do. Anyway, they got him a battery operated car and it's a mini Cooper S. And boy, does that thing take off. Holy moly. Nobody expected this thing to be that fast. And once James figured out that it went this fast and he could actually run it into stuff and people, nobody was safe. <laughs> it was crazy. So it's been a busy weekend. Um, I'm kind of podcasting a little later than I usually do because I was doing magazine stuff. And... I do believe, and I will be corrected if I'm wrong, um, I was informed that this is the first time in the history of the magazine that we've actually had to close for submissions. Um, 
we have so many things for you for our October issue that I had to post on our, our Facebook page that we were closed for submissions for October. I cannot accept anything more or it just won't be ready in time. It's This issue is going to be comparable to the anniversary issue. Just telling you that now. It's going to be incredible. And the Drabble section seems to have really taken off. So thank you, everybody. That's awesome. So, yeah. So my my magazine podcast is going to be another marathon one. So I'll warn you now. And I'll warn you at the beginning of that one to get comfy. Because <laughs> it's going to be a big one. Um, I do have a few announcements before I get into my meat of the podcast this week. Um, PCE is coming up in February and things are really starting to shape up. Um, we've got some really good guests lined up and more coming in. There's going to be wrestling and, um, uh, the celebrity photo ops and vendors galore. Um, Dave is going to be going out this week um, and solidifying contracts with a lot of the vendors. So, I mean, you're going to have comic books and, and comic related toys and action figures. And it's just, it's going to be, amazing and i was talking to our movie reviewer jason bashard today and we're very excited about this and i know mike lutz who does dispatches from shed quarters with jason they the three of us are very excited about our cross-border road trip there will be as the myth master puts it shenanigans from one country to the other so um so PC, don't forget PCE is February 8th, 2020, and you can buy your early bird tickets online, um, which is probably a good idea so that you can make sure that you have your ticket because it's going to sell out and there will be limited tickets at the door. So get your tickets early so you don't miss out. It's going to be fantastic and then we have the um hall of fame dinner after which is going to be really good so i'm excited okay so that's that one and we are also taking applications for an editor for herotica because dave won't let me do both (sighs) so (laughs) and in all reality um, I probably don't have the time to devote to being editor of Herotica that I would like to. Um, I try and, and do my absolute best for the world of myth and make sure that I'm putting out the best possible magazine that we can. And I would, I, I don't want to take away from that. So we are looking, we are taking submissions. Um, applications for an editor for our Herotica magazine. Now remember, Herotica is horror and erotic, so you have to be in the right frame of mind to be the editor for that. Just 
reminding you of that. And if you would like to send your applications with your qualifications to me at Stephanie Barty at theworldofmyth.com, I will forward them along to Dave and we can go from there. So there's that. And Dave will also be naming executive directors in November for each brand that's going to be involved with PCE. Um, so that's coming up. Woohoo! And Tuesday, 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 Monsterthology 2. So everybody who has a story that is coming out in Monsterthology 2, um, that is going to be available on Tuesday in paperback. Yay! So... Um, I know I'm in it, and um, Dave's in it, I think Don is in it. There's a whole list of people, and they're all absolutely amazing stories, um, because we all got our PDFs, all the authors got our PDFs to go through and read them, so I went through and read everybody's story. <laughs> Not just mine, I went through and read everybody's. Um, and they're all really, really good stories. And it, the theme of the monsterthology is um, the old time, like the the original monsters, like Frankenstein and um, creature from the Black Lagoon, vampires, werewolves, all of, like the the old. So yeah, monsterthology Tuesday, folks. Um. Oh, and. The winner of our open contract challenge, Melissa Ridley Elms, her first interview since winning will be tomorrow on Delivery Bros podcast. And I'm sure Anthony will be posting the link um, tomorrow. So I will be sharing that. And um, if you miss it, you can always check out Anthony Anthem's page or the Delivery Bros page and listen to her first interview since winning. And I think I have covered all of the things that the boss man wanted me to cover. Yes, I did. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> we've covered everything. Uh, PCE, Herotica... Executive directors for each brand in November, Monsterthology, and Melissa Ridley Elms' first interview since winning the Open Contract Challenge. Oh, and I also did want to say that the hard copies for um, the September anniversary issue, we are still doing them. And as I said last week, we are trying to look for the best possible value Um because we don't want you to have to pay $25 to have a magazine. So we're still working with a publisher to get the best possible price that we can for the best possible quality that we can. So I just wanted to let you know that. All right. So last week um, and the week before, I did a lot. Well, I did mo most. I did urban legends and creepy stories. And they were all basically in the United States. Now, I'm Canadian, 
if you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> and I do have um, a Canadian listeners audience as well. So this week, I'm going to touch on some Canadian. I'm going to tell you 13 scary things about Canada and seven creepy urban legends in Ontario. And that's the province that I live in. So let's start with the 13 frightening facts you didn't know about Canada. From the screaming tunnel of Niagara Falls to the phantoms of old Montreal, the Great White North, and it's not always white. I don't know why they keep calling us the Great White North. We're kind of red and yellows and faded greens at the moment. But I digress. Has more than its share of spooky lore and legends. To get you into the Halloween spirit and bring you out in goosebumps, we've rounded up 13 scary things you didn't know about Canada. Now this, you can find all of this on Reader's Digest. Uh, .ca. I like Breeders Digest, by the way. Um, no, thank you. Okay, so. Canadian lake monsters abound. You've heard the tales of curious travelers flocking to Scotland in the hopes of catching a glimpse of the famous Loch Ness Monster. But, did you know that Nessie isn't the only sea monster mystery worthy of attention? Turns out, Scotland's elusive serpent has plenty of Canadian competition. Native Canadian legends and current-day believers speak of lake monsters playing hide-and-seek in British Columbia, the Lake Okanagan's Ogopogo, Manitoba, Lake Manitoba's Manipogo, okay, we're not very original on names, Quebec, Lake Champlain's Champy, and Lake, oh good heavens, Memphremagog's, Memphrey. So, we have our own Nessies. Number two. You can stay a night in a haunted jail cell. Night terrors or sweet dreams? Take your pick at High Ottawa Jail Hostel. This imposing building in the heart of Canada's capital, Ottawa is our capital, served as the Carleton County Jail from 1862 to 1972. Hidden behind its dank walls lie many secrets and apparently several ghosts. Many prisoners spent their last days here locked behind bars and a select few even gasped their final breaths from the hangman's noose. Today, the former jail gallows still shock and terrify visitors. But don't let a little... Don't let a little spookiness get in the way of good night's sleep. Travelers can catch 40 winks in a private or shared jail cell and enjoy the meals, pub, and Wi-Fi that this unique hostel offers. All right, number three. There are plenty of scary-sounding places in Canada. Canada has some creepy-sounding communities lurking within its borders. Travelers may feel their hair stand on end when passing through the chilling named, chillingly named Blood Vein River, Poison Creek, Burnt Arm, Destruction Bay, Goblin, Skull Creek, Hatchet Cove, Bone Town, Gore Bay, and Coffin Cove. <laughs> All right, number four. Crime always spikes on Halloween in Canada. Police services 
across Canada report a general increase in the number of criminal incidents on October 31st. In 2010, for instance, there was a 51% increase in weapon-related offenses, trespassing, disturbing the peace, and indecent acts. Looks like there was more tricking than treating going on during All Hallows' Eve. Number five, Phantoms of Old Montreal. Now, Old Montreal is beloved around the world for its beautiful architecture and quaint cobbled streets. It's also notorious for its plethora of supernatural residents. Tortured souls who met their untimely demise through misadventure, criminal events, or public executions are said to wander the streets and the sites of Old Montreal, including St. Gabriel's, the city's oldest inn, home to a ghost of a little girl who perished in a fire. The Place Jacques Cartier, where the decapitated ghost of murdered prostitute Mary Gallagher searches for her lost head. Number six, grab a drink with a ghost. Calgary's Hose and Hound Pub is the HQ for ghostly monkey business. Serving as a fire hall from 1907 to 1952, the building played host to Calgary's first fire chief, Cappy Smart. The chief adored animals and kept a horse and a monkey on a monkey on site as part of his menagerie. After an unprovoked attack on a small child, Barney the monkey was put down. Following Barney's death, the establishment became a hotbed of paranormal activity. Firehouse and pub employees have witnessed objects sailing through the air, slamming doors, electrical disturbances, and other unexplained mischief-making within the structure's walls. Well, yeah, monkeys are mischievous, and now that he's a ghost... Okay, number seven. There is one job that's always in demand in Canada. In 2010, Canada had 13,684 people working in the funeral industry. Between 1996 and 2006, the number of female funeral directors and embalmers almost doubled. In 1996, 720 women worked in this profession as compared to 1,365 women in 2006. Some jobs come and go. For job security, join the funeral biz. Werewolves stock La Belle Provence. A 19th century Quebec legend warns residents about the frightful Loup Garou, a vicious, snarling werewolf prowling through the province's dense forests. According to French-Canadian folklore, Loup Garou creeps through the darkness, searching for a hearty meal of unsuspecting hunters and trappers. And I have heard that legend myself. Number nine. Bone-chilling shenanigans in the Hockey Hall of Fame. The screams and cries bouncing off the walls of the Hockey Hall of Fame building aren't coming from Toronto's disgruntled Maple Leaf fans. (laughs) Oh, come on now. (laughs) The creepy noises, flickering lights, and window slamming are the work of a ghost named Dorothy. In 1953, when the structure was a bustling branch of the Bank of Montreal, 19-year-old Dorothy worked as a teller. After a love affair gone wrong, the despondent woman shot herself in the second-floor bathroom. Since her suicide, phantom footsteps, eerie noises, and even a ghostly pat on the shoulder have left visitors and employees spooked. Yeah, that would do it for me. The Burning Ship of Northumberland Strait 
Countries around the world have tales of unearthly ghost ships sailing along their shores. Canada's spine-tingling watercraft goes one better. It's fully engulfed in flames from bow to stern, blazing its path along the Northumberland Strait between Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island, the multi-masted schooner seems to appear when a storm is on the approach. That's better than the weatherman! Goblins patrol in droves. In 2011, there were 3,723,644 little witches, goblins, and superheroes swarming Canadian streets seeking either tricks or treats. A similar horde of candy hunters will be on the prowl this year, so be sure to stock up for their invasion. Although I have noticed a decline in the amount of trick-or-treaters that we get over the years. Number 12. One of my favorites. Niagara Falls Screaming Tunnel. And since I'm going to be down in Niagara Falls over the Halloween time, I may make a visit. No, the Screaming Tunnel isn't a new amusement park to entice Niagara Falls tourists. The 125-foot-long passageway was originally constructed in the early 1900s as a path for railroad cars. Today, it stretches beneath train lines that connect Niagara Falls to Toronto and, and New York City. According to local legend, if you enter the tunnel after midnight and light a match, the flame will mysteriously extinguish while screams of a young female ring in your ears. This unsettling paranormal activity is reportedly connected to the grisly death of a young girl who was set ablaze inside the tunnel. Now, I've done some research, and I did actually, um, I did research back when I was doing my paranormal investigating. Um, and I did come up with a few news articles pertaining to that particular legend of a girl being set ablaze um, in that general area. So, like I said last week, urban legends are often based in fact. And number 13... Beware, spooky skeletons underfoot. Pretty much in Canada, you can't walk anywhere without walking on a place where someone or something has died. A stroll through Kingston, Ontario's McBurney Park isn't your typical walk in the park. Underneath the grassy surfaces, underneath the grassy surface lie thousands of buried bodies. In 1819, the land was the upper burial ground and served as the resting place for Kingston's dead until 1864. By the 1880s, city officials had constructed a park on top of the burial plots to make the area more appealing to the area's growing residential population. Unfortunately, the dead had other ideas. Over the years, gravestones and bones have popped out of the ground at McBurney Park, spooking unsuspecting visitors and earning the area a fitting name. A fitting yet freaky nickname, Skeleton Park. Now, a lot of times, too, what will happen with with graveyards, especially if um, they're like a potter's field. Now, if you don't know what a potter's field is, a potter's field is back in the 1800s. Um, that's where they would bury the poor, the criminals. They wouldn't have headstones. They would they would just basically you know dig a hole, throw them in, cover them up. Potter's fields. And there were, if there were people that lived at the workhouses and died, that's where they would be buried. Um, anyway, um, I know in Toronto and in North York, which is a burb of Toronto, 
um, a lot of those graveyards, the gravestones were moved, but the bodies were left there and they just built on top. There is one in, I think it's North York. I'm not exactly sure. Don't quote me on it. It's right by the Don Valley. And we investigated there. Um, my YouTube channel has a lot of the video from there. And um, all the headstones were removed. And it was reported that they had dug up the graves and relocated them. There used to be um, a little town that was there. The original church that was there has now been moved and is the church that is in uh, Black Creek Pioneer Village. Uh, and there was supposed to be an old mill, but we never actually found the old mill down in, in the bush there. But while we were there investigating this ghost town in the middle of the city, we did come to the monument and all the gravestones were cemented into this monument to honor the people that were buried there. And we were told that all the graves had been dug up and it was just dirt and grass and trees. Well, while we were investigating, we started finding um, corner markers for the graves. We started finding actual graves and we were finding bases to the headstones. So they didn't actually remove the bodies. They just removed the headstones. Um, we did get a lot of uh, paranormal activity. Okay, I can't say paranormal activity. Let's rephrase. Let's rephrase that. We did get a lot of electromagnetic frequency happening in the area. There was no subways underneath us. There was no power lines over top of us. Cell phones. We did all the proper checks and everything. So it was unexplained activity. Put it that way. So you're never quite sure when you're walking around if you're actually walking over what used to be an old graveyard. I live, the town that I live in, the whole area was native land. Um, right at the end of my street, like, I mean, literally, the end of my street is an Indian village from a long time ago. And well, I will tell you how long. Give me a second. When they were reconstructing the... See, at the end of my street, there used to be a ball diamond and... I hope if I can spell. So I had everything prepared and then I went off on a tangent. Now I have to Google something. Okay, so... It's the Hironi Museum and Huron Uendat Village, which is at the end of my street. And the, I mean, it's literally, I can go to the end of my driveway and it's, I can see it. It's right there. Because this was all native land. So. when they were digging up um, the ball diamond to put in the parking lot, 
there was a whole bunch of really weird things that were happening, and they found um, a large burial plot, a large burial ground, native burial ground. And basically what they did was they gathered up all the bones, reburied them in a, a mass grave, and dedicated that area, put a plaque up, and a bunch of other stuff, but a lot of weird things happened during that time while they were building that. They've had, they had a, a couple of crews actually quit. Um, so yeah, it was kind of interesting to say the least. Um, okay. It's not going to tell me. I can't find anything about the uh, village. Um, okay, so it's not going to tell me. But anyway, it's it's connected to St. Marie among the Hurons. Uh, it was around the same time that that was there. So if you want to Google that, you can. So there's 13 scary things about Canada that you may not have known and about the area that I live in. All right, so now we're going to hit the province that I live in. And there are seven creepy, er, well, there's more than seven, but I'm going to tell you about seven creepy urban legends that you can actually test out with your friends if you come to Ontario. So Ontario has some pretty serious history. Some of that history is also absolutely terrifying. We all know classic urban legends that we used to do as kids, but you know there are a few in Ontario. All right, so McLaughlin Planetarium and Celeste. The McLaughlin Planetarium provides provided visitors with an acute look at the stars and planets whirling around Earth. Before the building closed, some whisperings about staff members seeing a distinct little girl watching the light show by herself. They named her Celeste. Others have reported hearing her giggling and scampering across hallways. The building is closed to the public and is owned by the University of Toronto for storage now. But if you're feeling brave, check out the windows of the building and you might just see her. If you have connections, you might be able to get in. St. Catherine's Two-Way Cemetery. So, many people who grew up in St. Catherine's heard the oft-repeated rumor that Victoria Lawn Cemetery is the only cemetery split in two by a highway. The cemetery is divided by Queenston Street, and this road was the only way to get to Niagara and St. Catherine's before the QEW was built. People have said that the cemetery used to be Used to be one, but no one knows what they did with the bodies when they paved the road. The director that will never quit. The Royal Ontario Museum was run, once run by director Charles Trick Carell. Apparently, his passion for the museum is still strong today. Workers have reported sightings of Carell stalking the halls from time to time at the East Asiatic Collections. Encounters such as shoulder taps and voices have also occurred. You'll definitely want to check out the ROM with a friend or two. That's what we call the Royal Ontario Museum, the ROM. Ah, the Hermitage Ruins in Ancaster, Ontario. This old residence building, this old residence built in the 1800s is seriously creepy. Otto Ives was the man who owned the residence. 
Legend has it that one of the residents was Ives' niece, and she fell in love with the coachman. When the coachman asked Ives for permission, he declined, and the coachman was found dead hanging from the rafters of the barn that was on the land. Some people say they can feel his presence around the neighborhood. Lake Ontario and its secret underwater UFO base. (laughs) Lake Ontario can be home to strange things. But have you ever heard bizarre orbs or light patterns can be seen quite regularly? Take a look at this. Oh, there's a video. Take a look at the video of abnormal lights above North York and be your own judge. I've been to my friends in North York and I, we've seen, we see weird lights all the time. The Carleton County Jail in Ottawa. And I touched on that in the 13 that I discussed. Ottawa's haunted hostel is said to be one of Canada's most haunted buildings and was originally a maximum security prison. The prison closed and reopened just a year later for tourists who could stay the night. This hostel is not for the faint of heart. There have been reports of the ghost of Patrick James Whelan appearing at the foot of the guest's bed while they're sleeping. Ah, the ghost of Alma Cobb. The ghost of Alma College in St. Thomas. The creepy college was actually the location of terrifying horror movie Silent Hill. The ghost known as Angela is known to haunt the students and the school by taunting them. All that remains of the building today is the front gate and the chapel. So those are seven creepy urban legends. But that's not all. There's... Let me see. I have... There is a house in a town right near me that is actually on Ontario's most haunted list. It's called the Beck House. And... There we are. North Simcoe's Most Haunted Locations. This is where I live. So these are the locations in the area that I live in. And there's a few. Okay. Oh, for heaven's sakes. Go in. Tortured, murdered, and troubled souls are stuck haunting several locations around North Simcoe. Or so the stories go. We've compiled some of the spookiest places to visit. Happy haunting! St. Marie Among the Hurons. Popular spot for tourists, St. Marie Among the Hurons is also where tortured and murdered Jesuit missionary Jean de Brebeuf is buried. And he is. I've seen his grave. He is actually buried there. In the 1600s, he was living with the Hurons when the Iroquois attacked their village. He was captured and tortured to death. There are also stories about the spirit of Etienne Brule, a French explorer who was killed and eaten by the Hurons wandering local forests in search of vengeance. And we actually have, or had a bar in Penetang called the Brulee, after Etienne. Uh, according to legend, he is often accompanied by his sister, who appeared as a ghost and breathed the smallpox pestilence onto the people responsible for her brother's death. The Beck House. Carl Beck was a lumber magnate who lived in Penetanguishene in the late 1800s. Two of his nine children died in the house at a young age within the same year. Their mother also died young, leaving Beck's daughter, Mary, to raise the kids. There was friction between Beck and his daughter when she left to marry and have children of her own. 
When he died, he divided his estate among his children, among his children evenly, but gave Mary only one dollar. There have been many reports over the years of objects moving around the Beck house and lights turning on and off for seemingly no reason. And the Beck house now is apartments, and I know people who have moved in and have promptly moved right back out. Penetanguishene Centennial Museum. The Beck House is not far from the museum, where there have also been reports of hauntings by the Beck family. I've also been to the Beck Mausoleum. Mm-hmm. Yep. The museum is the original location of the Beck General Store and Lumber Office. It now houses many artifacts from the family, including a car and statues. Visitors and staff have reported sightings of a man and a woman dressed up in clothing from the late 1800s. An episode of Rescue Medium was even shot at the museum, and the show's host did drawings of spirits who looked just like Carl and Mary Beck. Staff, particularly new employees, often hear strange noises such as bell ringing when a store's front door opens. As well, staff have heard the sounds of footsteps and falling objects on the second floor when no one is up there, and they've reported the feeling of being followed. Discovery Harbor, which is also in Penetang. And I talked about this one, I think, last week as well. There are plenty of haunted stories across Discovery Harbor. In 1987, an interpreter at the historic site saw, out of the corner of his eye, a man in what appeared to be gentleman's costume sitting in a chair. He stood up, walked a step, and completely disappeared right in front of her eyes. The spirits of soldiers have also been spotted at the former naval and military base, including Private James Drury, while standing guard on New Year's Eve, he repeatedly snuck drinks of liquor throughout the night and fell asleep in the snow. An officer found him in the morning, frozen to death. As well, the first battle of Georgian military reenactment took place in July 1991, and many volunteers stayed overnight in tents on the parade square. A woman awoke around 5.30 a.m. and saw two soldiers in full regalia deep in conversation near the officers' quarters. Walking toward them, she realized she could see right through them. The pair stopped talking, looked at her, and walked away, disappearing behind a building. She later said she could not find the two men anywhere, and none of the reenactors' uniforms matched the ones worn by the soldiers she claimed to have seen. So, those are just a few things around in my area that are creepy. So, Ontario is full of haunted locations and strange stretches of road. And if you want to take a haunted road trip, um, there are several websites that you could look at. Um, we are full of urban legends and folklore paranormal locations. Um, oh, well, this one here. Southeastern Ontario is world famous for its rich history, home to two UNESCO World Heritage Sites and the place of several significant battles. We are constantly standing where a nation was forged, more often than not in combat. The story from then until now wasn't usually, wasn't always squeaky clean. There were times when public executions were not uncommon. 
smugglers, cutthroats, and even the occasional pirate once stalked the St. Lawrence River. At one time, an illness that is easily treated today could be your undoing at the ripe old age of 35. Our forebears faded, faced a daily gauntlet of ways to meet an early end. As a result, this entire region is a prime destination for paranormal enthusiasts. Whether you're a firm believer in the supernatural or a guided or guarded skeptic, it will be hard to deny the icy chill you feel up your spine while exploring these fascinating and frightening locations. Fort Henry in Kingston. It should come as no surprise that the Limestone City is a hotbed of paranormal activity because limestone is said to be a great conductor. With generations of stories and testimonials from residents and visitors alike, topping Kingston's list of haunted places is Fort Henry. For over 170 years, this fort has stood guard over Kingston and was never once attacked. Over the years, however, the fort has been the site of hangings and even a prisoner of war camp. The fort was even featured on an episode of Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters. In the episode, staff members were interviewed and the team recorded convincing evidence to support the countless tales of the fort's supernatural incidences. From summer to early September, the fort is also included in Haunted Walk's roster of tours. Visitors who want to be truly scared out of their pants should check out Fort Fright, an annual event which begins outside the fort and ventures into the darkest bowels of this ancient fortress. And then there's Skeleton... Skeleton Park, which we've already talked about. Oh, this, well, this goes into a little bit more about it. The grisly nickname stems from a rather dark and macabre history. The park that today hosts a playground, wading pool, and basketball courts was once a massive cemetery with over 10,000 graves. Established in 1814, it was one of the city's first and largest graveyards. We're still in Kingston, by the way. In 1864, the cemetery was closed and left more or less derelict. Over the next 30 years, reports of skeletal remains surfacing in the park and complaints of a horrid stench forced the city to eventually clean up the mess. Grave desecration and robbery were also rampant at this point in, in history, as medical students attending Queen's University were made to provide their own cadavers for exams. Headstones were bulldozed and only the bodies and the only and only the bodies transferred to another cemetery were those whose families could afford it otherwise thousands of corpses were left in the now transformed grounds human remains are still discovered occasionally to this day and what remains of gravestones can be found in the grass if you look close enough there are several reports and witness accounts of supernatural incidences including terrifying dreams, strange visions, ghostly mists, and even physical apparitions. And then you can do the Haunted Walk of Kingston. I know a few friends that do that. There's the Prince George Hotel. It's a good place to go. Um, now home to a trio of pubs, this former hotel was once the home of the Herchimer family during the 1800s. Their daughter Lily is said to have had a love affair with a rum smuggler and would leave a lit lantern in the window to signal for him. One night, this caused a fire which set the building ablaze and claimed Lily's life. Uh, Rochelieu Courtyard. Oh, then we have Prince Edward County. Let's see. I'm just scrolling through here. 
Cornwall, Ontario. It has some good places. Brockville has a few good places. Uh, oh, the Blink Bonnie House. <laughs> For over 170 years, the Blink Bonnie has stood as an icon of a thousand islands culture, heritage, and the subject of local legend. The property was first inhabited by Charles MacDonald, who was a prominent businessman and co-founder of the town itself. Later, in the 1920s, the house's, owners, the house's owner, William, son of Charles II, died of an unexpected heart attack. He left no will behind, which left his father suddenly displaced from his own ancestral home. In 1923, a local school teacher, Rebecca Edwards, bought the home and turned it into a lavish hotel. Charles II begged her to allow him to live out his remaining years in the home. She agreed and ensured that the 86-year-old MacDonald was made comfortable. She repurchased some of the home's original furnishings in order to please the aging progenitor of the home. He remained at Blink Bonnie until his death in 1928. The house has been visited by psychics, and there are theories that Charles II never left his beloved family home. There have been accounts of disconnected taps, disconnected taps running, slamming doors, unexplained footsteps, and other odd occurrences. Today, the Blink Bonnie sits vacant, with only the dust and echoes of her long and near-mythical history within. The future may be bright for the house, however. A recent article in the Ganoque Recorder reports that the house has been purchased with the intent of restoring it into a bed and breakfast or pub. It would appear that soon this house could be prized landmark attraction once more. And that is in Prince Edward. Oh, Brockville. So, yeah, there's some uh, lovely local lore for you <laughs> about Canada and Ontario and the area that I live in. So, that's your scary stories for this week and all your news updates. So, don't forget, in three days, the October, our Halloween issue for the World of Myth magazine will be coming out. So go to www.theworldofmyth.com. Check that out. And you can check out the magazine on Facebook at the World of Myth magazine and the podcast at the World of Myth Bits podcast. And they're the same over on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Barty Author. Nope, sorry, author Stephanie Barty on Facebook, Stephanie Barty author on Instagram, and Lupa B on Twitter. And you can email me at stephaniebarty at theworldofmyth.com. So have a good week, and we will have a special treat for you next week as it's the 52nd edition, issue, episode, whatever. Anyway, it'll be special next week. So... Have a good week, everybody, and stay scary. Bye. The World of Myth Bits.